We are back. Yesterday, for the third time, the United States Congress sent a bill to the president banning the so-called partial birth abortion. The two previous times it had done so, Bill Clinton was in the White House and he vetoed the bill both times. Yesterday, however, the bill was put before President George W. Bush and at the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center in Washington, he signed it. Joining us now to discuss the goings-on in Washington, D.C. is Ann Dilzer. Ann is the Public Affairs Director at Planned Parenthood Marmonte in their Sacramento office. And uh, we wanted her to come back and talk about this particular political development. Uh, Ann, uh, we knew this was coming. Well, we did know this was coming, but it's disheartening nonetheless. It's frightening from a real-world women's health perspective, and it's also disturbing from a public, public policy perspective. Now, uh, on our show last March 6th, we had um, Vicki Wilson come on and tell about her moving story, what happened to her, how she had to obtain one of these procedures, which has now been rendered uh, illegal. And I think that was very educational to find that, you know, what, what people are being told about this and the realities are, are two different things. Well, yes, I think that's clearly the case. And I think that the religious right and the anti-abortion faction have uh, crafted a very uh, inflammatory emotional term. Uh, the term partial birth abortion is not a medical one. It has no medical meaning. And that's part of the problem with the way this statute was written. Physicians can't interpret it. It has no meaning for them. And it is so broad that it could conceivably out outlaw all second as well as third term tri uh, abortions. Now, see, I hadn't really, I hadn't given that aspect of it as much thought perhaps as I should have. And I, obviously Congress did likewise, that if the, that's not what you call the various procedures you're going to be using, you are giving a broad mandate to people who might wish to prosecute for their own political reasons. Certainly. I think there are, I think there are a number of things going on here. I think fundamentally, from Planned Parenthood's perspective, it, issues of surrounding pregnancy and child rearing are, are not always as simple as we might believe. In this country, we have, we have sophisticated medical care, and women don't die in, in childbirth. But... It's an intricate physical, physical process. Complications can and do arise. And that's why there's a whole specialty of medicine. Yeah. That's why we have obst uh, obstetrics and gynecology. Yeah. Uh, Congress is arrogantly asserting that as a political body, they somehow have greater medical expertise than physicians who have trained for years. And I certainly wouldn't put my health in the hands of politicians. I don't care to necessarily delve into the, uh, the particulars of this case, even though as a physician I suppose I'm qualified to do so, but I don't have an, that much personal experience with the procedures myself, so I'd like to steer clear of that. But Vicki, I think, was able to bring home in very personal terms what it meant to know that you had a child that could not possibly survive outside the womb. The child was, it was it, unfortunately doomed. For a medical reason and, and for emotional reasons, they decided it would be better for the family and better for Vicki to undergo this procedure in like the 34th week, a late, you know, late, the third trimester procedure. Right. It was the best thing for her to do, and yet now this will be taken away from her. Right. Were this ban in place at the time that Vicki was facing, uh, Vicki and her husband were facing their situation, she would have been precluded. Any doctor who had performed such a, such a procedure would face criminal charges. I think perhaps it's important to note that um, the latest statistics I have as of 1998 88% of abortions take place in the first trimester. Yes. Only 1% occur after week 21. 1%. Sounds right to me. 
And these generally take place because of either some gross fetal, fetal, fetal anomaly, as was the case in Vicky, with Vicki Wilson, yes. or because the woman herself has developed some serious medical complication. And I, I would like women to think of their own pregnancies or uh, women in their family or friends they've known. I think everyone knows someone who has had to face, if not that severe um, medical uh, complication, at least high blood pressure, preeclampsia. Yes. There are all kinds of medical conditions that can arise that truly can endanger a woman's health. Yes. And without the option of having a later term abortion so that they have the greatest possibility of living and living a healthy life and having further pregnancies, the law endangers their health. It takes away their options. It really ties the hands of physicians. It, uh, physicians don't have the opportunity yes. to make the best medical decision. Now, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Ann, but I believe this, the, 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 this the similar legislation was, was struck down previously because it didn't allow any provisions for consideration of the, women, the woman's uh, health. Now, they've, they've, they've taken some steps to correct that, or no? How does, how does that work? Yes, that's correct. In its first um, incarnation, in 1996, Congress passed a similar piece of legislation that was vetoed by President Clinton because it did not have an exception to preserve the life or health of the woman. Yes. Congress passed, passed it again in 97, and Clinton vetoed again for the same reason. In 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a Nebraska law because it contained no exception for the health of the woman. This particular piece of legislation does have some language that mentions uh, an exception for the life of the woman. But it not says, the health. It says nothing about the yeah. health of the woman. And even the exception for the life is very vague and very broad. What does that mean? Does that mean that she's within five minutes of bleeding to death? Right. Does that mean that um, the cancer, the invasive cancer that she's now facing has to, has to have advanced or metastasized? I mean... At what point do you say her life is now in danger? It, it has no specificity. The parameters are very broad. And for physicians who are concerned, and rightly so, about facing criminal charges, they may just say, forget it. Yeah. Not even going to offer this as an option, even though we believe it offers her the best chance of saving her life and her health. Now, now Planned Parenthood has already uh, challenged this legally in the courts. Is that the, is that the criteria they're using to, uh, to do it, or how, how is this going to be challenged? That's exactly right. Planned Parenthood and two other, um, uh, the ACLU and another um, abortion rights organization filed lawsuit last Friday. We've also filed um, a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction to prevent the act even from going into effect. We're concerned that a physician performing any second trimester abortion could conceivably face criminal charges because this act is written so broadly. So we are seeking an injunction to prevent it from going into effect, and we are challenging the um, legitimacy of the act because it does not allow for uh, an exception for health, the woman's health. Well, as this moves its way to the courts, I hope, Ann, you can come back on and let us know uh, how things are proceeding. I'd love to do that. I'd love to spend time as it proceeds in the courts, as we hear about it more in the public arena. There will be more questions, and I'd like to see a broader discussion of the issues and what it means to, 
and Ashley, maybe I'd like to I'd like to leave you with this. I think the thing that's this should be disturbing to everyone, no matter where you stand on the abortion issue, is that from a public policy perspective, yeah. this is the first time in history that Congress has ever banned a medical procedure and inserted a political agenda into a medical decision. And if you're concerned about slippery slope, th- this certainly should concern you. Yes. Well, uh, but before we do close completely, I would like to, to, to probably point out that probably no one uh, thinks that abortion is a particularly good method of birth control, and that an ounce of prevention is certainly worth a pound of cure, and that we might want to put another plug in for Planned Parenthood, which is doing what it can to prevent pregnancies uh, before they happen. Thank you. Can I, can I use you as my spokesperson? Uh, yes. And, and in fact, I, uh, yes, I would like to reiterate that. In fact, Planned Parenthood does more to prevent abortion and un- unwanted pregnancy and unintended pregnancy probably than any of those pro-life groups combined. All right. Well, and, and you guys are located where now? Can we, for, for the students, can we for one more time put that out there? We have an office in downtown Woodland, and then we have three in the Sacramento area. Pl- probably the closest is on 10th Street, Capitol Plaza, right near the state capitol. All right. And as Amy Kubich pointed out on our show a few weeks back, that it is possible to get uh, birth control prophylaxis through the health center at UC Davis. And, and at Planned Parenthood, too, if you're so inclined. All righty. Thank Anne, you very very much. Thanks. All right, joining us now to talk about the issue of uh, the downtown arena is Jeff Kearns, a reporter for the Sacramento News and Review. Uh, this is, of course, on the Sunday paper, uh, the, the page one story, but Jeff has been following this for a while. In fact, had an article on it on the August 28th issue of the News and Review. So, Jeff. Hi, Doug. Why do we need a new stadium in Sacramento? We have Arco Arena, don't we? Uh, well, need is uh, subjective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is well, it, maybe maybe that's an unfair question for you. Why would the King's owners say that we need a new arena in Sacramento? Well, I don't know if they've said that. Um, I think, that, you know, they were really quiet through the whole thing. And, yeah. you know, I think they it's pretty obvious, you know, they, they didn't seem like they were eager to come out and, you know, ask the taxpayers to drop a half a billion dollars on an arena that would benefit them. Right. Six hundred million, I guess, was the estimate. Yeah, that's that's the number that uh, it looked like this uh, in August when I was working on that story. It was yeah. just, just under 600. I think the number that came out in the study was 538, but I don't think that included the financing costs, so it still could be close to 600. The the existing arena at Arco is an older one. It's one of the oldest in the N- NBA. I, I think of it as a relatively new construction. It is. <laughs> but that's the thing, is the um, most of the arenas uh, in the league, or maybe even all of them, I'm not quite sure, are newer, and they've been built in the last, uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years. Wow, so I guess NBA owners are a pretty spoiled bunch. If this was a different kind of city that had a different kind of um, economy and yeah. a few more corporations and, and big spenders a, like yeah. that instead of a bunch of government yeah. offices, it would probably, uh, we'd probably already have a new one with uh, somebody's name on it. But uh, that's, that's one of the things that makes this deal hard in Sacramento is that we don't have that kind of a, a base of corporations that want to, you know, put their name on something like that, or sure. buy those uh, luxury box seats, and that's that's another thing is that the the luxury boxes are one of the things that kind of I think uh, pushed the uh, some of these newer 
yeah. arenas because they're kind of a new thing and it, you can make a lot of money off of them. Well, maybe I'm influenced by the fact that I'm I'm not at all a basketball fan in in general and not a Kings fan in particular. I uh, it's hard for me as a Sacramento taxpayer to wonder why I have to get involved to help out the luxury box situation for a basketball team. But I that may be a question that a lot of Sacramentans may be asking. Well, I'm sure they are. <laughs> uh, it didn't go over very well um, when the business folks got a got a whiff of it. They were either peeved or skeptical or you know more interested in having somebody else pay for it but sure yeah i mean that's a legitimate question is is why would people need to pay for it and it seems like the answer is because it doesn't pan out very well yeah and, uh, that's what the taxpayer groups said you know they've been saying all along that, you, you studied this i guess a little bit some of the books that have been out there on stadium yeah i, I read up on it and yeah. talked to some of the people who you know some of the economists who study this stuff part of the story I did this summer, but the um, proposition of putting up something like that is, is really expensive, and you need to get somebody to pay for it. Well, there was, there was talk here, I guess, about a, a going, going ahead with an advisory vote, and that uh, Mr. Richie Ross, who I guess whose career you've been, you've been following a bit, who advises both the mayor, Heather Fargo, and Joe and Gavin Maloof, the team owners, uh, uh, Ross wanted to, thought it was important that they sort of stay in the backgrounds, according to the B, so they didn't, quote, Come across as pushy team owners, unquote. Yeah. And um, he he was feeling that the, the based on telephone polls that people might be receptive to a publicly funded arena. Now this has all been tossed out, I guess. Well, I don't know if anything has been tossed out. Uh, this this study that they did, feasibility study. This is yeah. the second round that just came out a few days ago, and it wasn't really a study of any specific plan, which was sort of the problem. And, you know, they had to kind of guess on some of these numbers and say, you know, let's just put the Maloofs down for 20% or yeah. something like that. And, you know, that's the average. So, you know, we'll guess. And one of the consultants said at the meeting a few days ago, you know, we didn't want to, we were told not to pre-negotiate the deal and stuff like that. And so there wasn't really a, a plan as much as this thing that was kind of supposed to be more of a discussion point to see if it would work out. I mean, it's like it's not dead. They may they may still want to push it ahead if they find that the political climate uh, may allow it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone knows right now what's going to happen, but it seems like this plan right here, you know, it looks like it's dead. It doesn't look like they're going to bother with this vote. And, uh, you know, I think right now everyone's just kind of pointing the finger at each other yeah. and saying, died because of somebody else. The Maloofs are mad. They're blaming the Millennium Association. Uh, Richie uh-huh. Ross is commenting that maybe they need to stay in the background. Mayor Heather Fargo seems to, I guess, be the big loser uh, because she was pushing for this whole thing all along to develop downtown Sacramento. And then, and they were, all seem to be mad at uh, city manager Bob Thomas, who, according to some, wasn't pushing this very hard at all. Yeah, that's right. Kind of bubbled over at the first council meeting a couple of weeks ago when they had everybody come in and present this thing, and the, the report had just come out a few days before that. Yeah. Council was asking staff why their, you know, why their report didn't look the same as the study that came out, and and uh, you know people were upset that you know it seemed like the staff hadn't done exactly what it was supposed to, and you know there was there recrimination. Was yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go out on a limb and prognosticate where you think we'll be on this in a few months from now? I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's a complex situation, and the and the land is still for sale, too. Millennia, the developer, is uh, still negotiating with the railroad on getting that land, I believe. And it seemed like one of the problems with this deal is that it wasn't, that that hadn't been resolved yet. You know, that's still going forward, and while there probably won't be a vote in March, I think that the deadline to do that is coming up in a few days, so... 
I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, who knows? I mean, it could go any different direction. Jeff, I got a feeling there's a lot of political forces that would like to see this, and there's some money behind it. So I don't think it's. I think it probably isn't going to die. Just guessing. And and as we follow it, hopefully you can come on and update us. Would you, if you'd be so good? Okay, sounds good. All right, Jeff Kern, Sacramento News and Review. Keep up the good work. We should plug the paper while we're at it because uh, I think you guys are consistently doing some fine investigative pieces, and uh, and I try and read it every week. Well, thank you. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.